All right, so this is um, basically part two of what we started last week. So last week, we made the main point that weakness, not strength, is the way to Jesus. We talked about uh, through Paul's life, his experiences, um, the things he endured, that it isn't his strength or his impressiveness as a spiritual person that makes him close to Jesus, but actually his weaknesses. It's actually the things that are uh, counterintuitive that make us closer to Jesus. And, and Paul's going to just basically continue to, to drill that home today. Um, I said last week that the end of uh, the second half of 11 and the first half of 12 are basically one continuous thought. He's not, he's not breaking up the, the thoughts like in chapters. He didn't write the chapter numbers into our Bible. Someone else did that a long time after he wrote it. So this is just one continuation of what uh, he's been talking about. And so, we, to, but to get the context, let's just step back for one second to verse 30, because I think verse 30 of chapter 11 is the key verse for us to understand where Paul's going. So he says this, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I must boast, and he's been boasting, uh, in this passage, he's, he's boasting not because he wants to be a bragger, but because he has to defend his ministry against the super apostles that are accusing him of being a pathetic person who doesn't really belong in leadership. And so he is speaking into that. He's boasting, but he's not boasting of the things that's, that show his strength, but rather his weakness. And, and then right after that, in the, in the last few verses of chapter 11, he shares the most uh, humiliating and difficult thing that he's ever experienced, at least in his, in his mind, of all the things that he went through that he shared in chapter 11, um, which were like imprisonments, beatings, uh, be, having rocks thrown at him to have, have him killed, um, being shipwrecked three different times, being hungry, like all these horrible things. He, the last thing he shares, the most humiliating thing he shares, is that he was let out of the city of Damascus in a fish basket, lowered down through the, uh, outside the wall, and he was able to run away from someone who wanted to capture him. And that, that desertion or that running away is actually what Paul considers his weakest moment. I would not necessarily uh, categorize it that way, but, but I, I mentioned last week that D.A. Carson said the reason for that is likely because that was the moment where his, whatever leftover pride may have been in his heart, it was gone after that. It just had to, it had to humble him to that point. So that's where we've been. He, he starts by sharing the most humiliating and humbling thing in his life. But now as we get into the next chapter, uh, he is going to share something else. He's actually going to share the most, honestly, impressive thing that's ever happened in his life. Uh, it, it, this, this is going to take a little bit of a turn where, where Paul has resisted up to this point in sharing about the accomplishments of his life um, and really is just honed in on the things that aren't accomplishments. Now he's going to talk about the most significant thing that ever happened to him uh, on a spiritual level. And it's interesting because this is the only place 
in all of Scripture that we have this recorded for us. Paul did not talk about this very much. It's not recorded for us in the book of Acts, like so much else of what Paul did. Um, this is unique. And, and Paul is kind of saving this, this little tidbit that he, honestly, as we read it, we can, we can s- just see from the reading of it that it's embarrassing to him to talk about it. Um, but he's going to share it. And, and I just want to take us through that. That's the first six, six verses out of the 10 we're going to look at. And, uh, and then we're going to unpack why he's sharing this. Okay. So let's, let's go ahead and read it. Um, <clears throat> verse one, he says, if I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So, so he's been talking about all these hardships. Now he's like, all right, if I have to continue to boast, I'm going to go on now to visions and revelations of the Lord. So seeing things that Jesus has, is showing him. Now look at verse 2. It says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard many things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though I should, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. All right, so this is a little bit, it's just, it's just awkward. It's just an awkward, like, reading, uh, reading it. It's like, okay. So Paul's talking about this guy who is caught up into paradise, into heaven. He says the third heaven uh, which we got to understand a little bit of what he's thinking there. Um, so in, in his world, remember, that was before spaceships, before satellites. They didn't know a whole lot about uh, how the universe worked, but they understood enough that, okay, so the first heaven in their concept would have been like what we call the stratosphere, the, the sky, um, still in our atmosphere. Then where the stars are, we'd call that outer space. He would call that the second heaven. Third heaven is where God is, right? And his, that's, that's spiritual heaven where, where Christ dwells. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about going to, to heaven as we think of heaven, uh, this, the place where God is on his throne. And, and he says he knows this guy who 14 years ago was caught up into heaven, went to paradise, doesn't know whether it was in the body or out of the body. He doesn't know any of that. He just knows he saw things he can't even explain. He heard things that he can't express. Um, and it sounds like Paul's talking about somebody else, some guy he knows. But this is the situation. He's actually talking about himself. Okay, so that's why this is so uh, awkward. He's talking about himself. That becomes very clear as we get into verse 7. Um, but he's, he's referring to himself in this, like, as, as this other guy. It's kind of like when you have an embarrassing thing in your life that you want to figure out. But you're like, before, you know, before the Google machine existed, you'd go to a friend and go, you know, I know somebody who has this problem. You know, and then you kind of make it sound like it's not you, but it's really you. Um, that, you know, you have a friend uh, that needs some help. It, that's what Paul's doing here. 
And the reason Paul's doing that, I think it, it really boils down to where Paul is a, a guy who wants to be humble. He doesn't want to brag about the fact that he got to go to heaven and see Jesus and, and all this stuff that none of us can imagine as long as we're still here on earth. He got, a, he got an experience that almost no one in the world is privileged to. And yet, and there's a sense in which it seems like he's kind of embarrassed by that, right? That's why he's like talking so vaguely. He doesn't want this to be about him. He doesn't want it to be uh, where people look at him and go, oh my goodness, Paul got to go to heaven and now he's back here. And, and, you know, why isn't Paul like writing books and trying to make money off of this experience? Well, because Paul's humble and he knows that this is a genuine thing that God did for him but it's not something to boast about. And so he's, he's using this as a way to get the Corinthians to understand that he is really God's guy for their church. He is an apostle. He has the authority to speak to them on what Jesus wants. He's using this to defend that reality, but he doesn't want to be doing it. You can, you can just tell that as you read it. And so he shares the most significant spiritual moment in his life I mean, by far, right? Like that's the craziest thing that has ever happened to Paul, will ever happen to him. And, and, uh, and he's sharing that now. But now look at what happens next. This is interesting. Verse seven, he says, so, okay, because of all these things that I saw in heaven, to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me from becoming prideful, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. See, so he's clearly talking about himself, right? To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of being able to see these things. He's, he's clearly not, it's not a friend of his, it's him. He's just humble enough to, uh, he's not proud enough to admit it was him at first. So he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of that greatness of the revelation, He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So he says that twice, to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn, some some sort of an ailment, some sort of a pain was given to him in his body, in his flesh, and some, whether that's literally his physical body or whether that's just his emotional a heart or whatever, he's been given this thorn to keep him from becoming conceited, prideful, because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations. Okay, so let's talk about what Paul's saying here, because this is huge. I don't think we should blow past this. Um, here's what Paul, I think, is really telling us. And this, this obviously mattered to him, but it also matters to us. If we're not constantly and consistently dependent on the grace of God in our lives, then the deeper we grow in Jesus, the more prideful we can become. It's a weird thing. It's like antithetical to what Jesus wants from us. But if we're not constantly being dependent on the grace of Jesus, then what, as we grow in Jesus, instead of becoming more humble, we can actually become more prideful. 
Right? That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying he got, he got this glimpse of Jesus that none of us are going to have until we see him face to face, whether it's when he returns or whether it's when we die, we see Jesus. Yes, but not, not here and now. For, for the vast, vast, vast majority of people, that's not their experience. And yet for Paul, he gets this glimpse into heaven. He gets to go there, whether it was in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know, but he was there. He knows that. He heard things. He saw things. It, it was amazing and incredible. And so God gives him a thorn to keep him from becoming prideful. Because even in that most incredible moment of being able to see Jesus in his, in, on his throne in heaven, God knew that Paul might become a prideful man because of that. If we grow in Jesus, we can become prideful too. That's, that's a weird thing and it should, should never be, but it's, it happens. So how might that look? What might that be like? Let me give you just a few things, a few ways this manifests itself. And, and, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular at all. I'm just saying that these are things I've seen in my own heart and in other people's lives uh, of people like me who would profess to be a, a follower of Jesus and a maturing Christian and go, oh man, I see these things in me. I see this, this craziness of pride that can actually creep in the more I grow in Christ. Here's a few things. Now, I'm not saying these are all true of me. I'm not saying they're true of you, but they're things that exist in our churches. One, this might look like, um, or it might manifest itself in, the, in that we feel or believe that we've outgrown our need for the local church or to sit under the preaching of God's word. Have you ever met a Christian who claims to be a real solid, knows Jesus, loves the Bible, and yet they never, ever, ever come to church. Why? Is there, I'm not judging them, I'm just saying, is there something in that? Is there a problem in that? Well, the Bible tells us we need to be a part of the church. So if we're not submitting to the word of God there, then, then here's the thing. We can, out, we can feel like we've outgrown our need for the church because we've grown spiritually mature enough. I saw a man, I met a man once who, um, who told me that. He's like, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I don't have any need for his church. You know, I didn't in that moment, but you, you got to think through it and go, okay, do you actually love Jesus then? Because Jesus died for his church and you're a part of the church. And, and the fact that you're not there means something. Th- that, is a, that is a pride thing. And it's a pride thing we've got to fight because it treats the church like it's a commodity, like something we get something out of rather than a community that we belong to and can serve. It makes an assumption that the local church is all about what I get and not about what I can give. And that's a problem. That's, that's pride. That's pride. That's one of the ways. It's not the only way. But that's a way that this pride, as we grow deeper in Jesus, at least seemingly, we can actually become more distanced from him. Another way this happens is by looking at people around us 
who sin in different ways than we do and looking at them with contempt. Like, have you, I mean, we've all been guilty of this one. I've definitely been guilty of this one. We look at people who sin in a different way than me and I go, oh man, look at that. Look at that fool right there. You know, you just kind of get this judgy heart towards them. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. That's a pride problem. This could also mean uh, that we are too, um, we feel too spiritual or too mature for the need of spiritual leadership in our lives. And so we run away from loving rebuke. And when, by spiritual leadership, I don't mean pastoral leadership. I'm talking about just people in your life who speak into your life that God will use in that moment and say, you know what, this is a thing in your life I'm seeing that you need to bring to Jesus. And it's prideful when we're confronted with that to run away instead of actually acknowledging the, the truth in it or at least assessing whether there's truth in it. There's pride in that. There's a prideful heart in the unwillingness to sit under someone else's uh, leading and guiding as they're trying to bring us to Jesus. We, we need to be careful of these things. There's so much danger as we grow in Christ, we can become more and more prideful. So here's the good news. Um, God does love his children way too much to let them be prideful forever. He will do something. He will knock us down a few pegs lovingly. He will lovingly knock us down a few pegs. That's what he did for Paul. He gave Paul a thorn, a thorn in the flesh. Um, this was, Paul says it twice, this was meant, the purpose of the thorn in his life was to keep him from becoming conceited. That was God's loving purpose in giving Paul something that he did not enjoy. It's clear he didn't enjoy it. He refers to it as a thorn. Like you've had a splinter at some point in your life. You know how unpleasant it is to have something like that in your hand and, and to not be able to go about your normal life without you know, it hurting every time you try to do something. So what, you know, we don't want those things in our lives. Paul refers to this as a thorn. He doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't want it in his life, but it's there for a purpose. It's significant to notice that Paul does not tell us what the thorn is. Did you notice that? He doesn't tell us what it is. He gives us two little clues. He says that it's a thorn in the flesh. So that means that some people's interpretation of this is that Paul had some sort of physical ailment in his life. Maybe a lot of people will say bad eyesight. He had bad eyesight. I don't know if he had... We don't know if he had bad eyesight. We, we speculate because there's one verse in Galatians where Paul says, look at what large letters I'm writing, which in the context of that verse, he's talking about the emphasis he's putting on this. So he's like making big, bold letters, probably underlining them because that's what he's trying. He's not talking about not being able to see, <laughs> but for whatever reason, we've, we've interpreted it that way. It's fine. And maybe he did have bad eyesight. You know, hey, I don't want to crush your hopes and dreams for for Paul's life. I don't know why you'd want him to have bad eyesight, but hey, if you're not going to sleep tonight because I told you he might not have had bad eyesight, you believe it all you want. That's fine. Um, but there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that. However, there is something in Scripture that tells us Paul had a thorn in his life. It may have been a physical ailment. It may have been something like that. 
He also refers to this thorn as a messenger of Satan to harass me. So the other main interpretation of this thorn is either it was a physical ailment because it was a thorn in the flesh or it was a relational thing that was happening in his life. Could have even been the super apostles that he's talking about here. That there was conflict and people in his life that he felt were messengers of Satan to harass him. At the end of the day, though, it doesn't matter whether it was uh, a physical problem or whether it was a relational problem or whether it was something altogether different. The point is that it is meant to keep him from becoming a conceited and prideful person because he has seen things of Jesus and from Jesus that virtually no one else ever has. And so that's significant, that God lovingly knocks down the people that he loves, so that they're not conceited. There are things in your life that you wish were not in your life. There are things in my life that I wish weren't in my life. And instead of whining about those things, we should embrace those things and say, you know, I don't have to like this. I don't even have to want this. But we need to humble ourselves under it to say, what is God using this for? What is he doing in my life through this? So let's, let's keep going here. Um, we can see in verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So right there, Paul says, I, I prayed three times. Now, was that literally three times he prayed? Or is this possibly just the way Paul's expressing a continual desire and asking of the Lord to remove this? I don't know. Let's just go with the clearest reading that three times he prayed that Jesus would take this thorn away from him. He doesn't want it. He didn't ask for it. He doesn't like it. But he goes to Jesus and asks him to take it away. There is nothing inherently wrong with asking for God to take away the things in your life that, are con- that you would consider a thorn. There's nothing wrong with that unless you're not okay with the answer. Here's the answer. Look at the answer. Verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, the power of Jesus Christ is made perfect in weakness. So let's ask ourselves the question, did God answer Paul's prayer? Yes, he did. He didn't answer it by removing the thorn though. You notice that? He didn't answer the prayer by removing the thorn. So here's, here's a little bit of theology for you, okay? Especially as you wrestle with God's answers to your prayers. Um, there are various ways God can answer a prayer, and they are always answered. So here's some answers for you. Uh, yes, we love that one. No problems with that one. We, we're good with that, right? We want that. Um, the answer No is also an answer. may not be the one you want, but it is an answer. And if you have kids, you know that, right? Like your kids ask you for something, you say no. Well, they got their answer. 
it's just then they'll go you know cry in their room or something. Um, that's what we do with God too. So he answers yes or he answers no. He also can answer later. Later is a legitimate answer too, to a question. It's not really a yes or a no. It's more of a hang in there. Eventually, you may get an answer. But here's the answer Paul got. And this is an answer that we can often get from God too. The answer that Jesus gives him as we read this verse is I have something so much better than what you're asking for. Paul asked that the thorn be removed and God's answer was, you know what, I've got something even better for you. I have something that's even more helpful and loving than if I was to take away your thorn. What is it? My grace is sufficient for you. Paul's answer was, I have something better for you, and it's my grace in this moment. My grace for you in this suffering is all you need. It's sufficient. It will fulfill you. It'll sustain you. It will carry you. And I think a lot of the time, we don't want to recognize that that is the answers we get to many of the prayers we ask. Where if we don't get the answer that we ask for, we think God just has left or abandoned us or not shown up. But in reality, what he's telling us is, you know, you're not going to get the very thing you think you need because you don't even know what you need. But here's what you really need. You need my grace. And my grace is sufficient for you. The sufficiency of God's grace in Jesus is what our hearts desperately need in moments of weakness and suffering. And so I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't pray for the things that are harmful to you or hurtful to you or making you suffer. I'm not telling you you shouldn't pray for those things to be removed or that you shouldn't pray to be healed if you're sick, or you should, you should pray for all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you should also pray that you would be receptive to the grace of God for you in that moment. Because God does have grace to sustain you and be sufficient for you, just as he did for Paul. It is the power of Jesus Christ that is made perfect in our weakness. We actually see our greatest breakthroughs spiritually in our weakest moments. We see the greatest breakthroughs of Jesus Christ in our life when we are at our worst and at our weakest and at our lowest. We just need to hang in there. And we need to wait because there's always better news for Christians than what you're going through right now. But you might have to wait for that reality because it will ultimately be given to you when you're in glory with Jesus. But here and now, it's not as if God just leaves us hanging without any help or hope. He gives us all that we need, the sufficiency of grace in our lives in those moments. My grace is sufficient for you, Jesus says. We need to believe that. We need to embrace that. 
Let's look at what Paul says next at the, still in verse 9 here. He brings this around. He says, he uses this word, therefore. So therefore is going to help us understand that he's making a connection. He's making a connection between what he's just talked about and what he's about to say. So if Jesus' grace is sufficient for you and Jesus' power is made perfect in your weakness, therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I will boast all the more gladly. Here's what that really, that in the Greek, in the original language, what Paul's really getting at is he's saying, I will be content with these weaknesses. He's going to actually go into that in the next verse. We'll see that as well uh, more clearly. But he's talking about this boasting gladly of my weaknesses. What he's saying is, is I'm okay with having this thorn in my flesh. He's, not that he enjoys it like he's some kind of masochist or something. He's not like that. But he does, uh, he does find that this very thing, whatever this weakness is in his life, whatever this thorn is that he's describing, it is a way for him to gladly, joyfully boast in his weakness because that's how the power of Christ will come upon him. Weakness is the way to Jesus. Weakness, embracing our weakness and knowing our need for him is how we will see a spiritual breakthrough in our lives. I think so many of us wonder why we're not maturing as Christians quickly enough or overcoming sin that we're, that we're constantly battling and it seems like we just go on this rodeo or this, you know, this, not rodeo, uh, what's that thing? A merry-go-round, right? Where you're just going around in circles and, and you're, okay, I'm back to that same sin again. I just don't have any victory in this. I don't have any, maybe, and I'm not saying for sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I think in my life I've seen where I find myself weak in those things is because I'm still depending on my strength to overcome them. We cannot depend on our strength. We have to depend on Christ's grace in our sins and in our struggles. It is there that the spiritual breakthroughs happen. So verse 10 says, For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the key phrase. The key phrase is for the sake of Christ. I am content with weakness. And then he defines weakness, right? He defines it as insults. When people hurl insults at you or me for our faith and for what we believe, that can make us feel weak and insignificant. That can hurt. But in those moments, we can be content knowing that it is Christ. It's for his sake that we go through these things. He says hardships. So that's a very generic term that means a lot of things. Persecutions. Things where people are actually coming after you to harm you or kill you. That's the world Paul lived in. It's not so much where we experience the Christian life in our, 
in our day today right now, but that's, that's a reality for Paul. Calamities, so disaster, whatever you define disaster as. Paul says, I'm content with these things. I have peace with them. I can accept them. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's this paradox of being strong in Christ, even as we're weak in ourselves. So here's the point that Paul makes. Um, it is for the sake of Christ that we, that we need to be willing to go through any hardships because Jesus is better and more valuable and more sufficient than anything else that we have in life. He really is. He's better. He's more valuable. He's more precious. He's more sufficient than anything else that we value in all of our life. And, and because he is all of those things for us, he is better than our worst things. He is better than our best things. He's more valuable than anything that we can, can imagine. He is all those things. So therefore, we can be content with our weaknesses. Contentment doesn't mean we are, are enjoying the, those weaknesses, but it means we have peace within our hearts through those weaknesses. As we understand Jesus as our sufficient source of grace, we will understand that when our health goes downhill, Jesus is better. When our, when our economy falters or our savings disappear or our financial hardships hit our lives, we, we, don't, we don't falter, we don't freak out, we don't lose hope because Jesus is more valuable than anything we have or ever will have. When our friends betray us, when our family turns their back on us, when things are horrendously relationally broken, we don't have to panic. We have a Savior who has all grace, all sufficiency for us in those moments. What Paul recognizes here what we need to recognize here is that Jesus is actually worth pursuing more than anything else that we can experience. And if he's worth pursuing more than anything else in this world, then it's okay if we lose everything in this world to have him. It's okay. We will actually be better off if we have Jesus and nothing else. We need to be content with that we need to learn that. And that only happens, again, that doesn't happen by us creating some, you know, grit in our heart to go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be content. No, it has everything to do with laying our weaknesses down at the foot of Jesus and saying, take this. This is yours to do with what you need to do. It's all about dependency. It's all about leaning deeper into him, trusting him in the, in the darkest and hardest moments of our life. That's, that's what we're called to do. Jesus is not just Jesus when things are going well. He is our sufficient Savior, especially when things are going terribly wrong. That's where Jesus becomes most profound to us. It's not to say he doesn't matter in the good times, but let's be honest, those are the times where we tend to be pretty 
ignorant of his work because we're like, oh, it's all going great. It's when things really go down that we begin to see the true sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And the more we grow in him, the more we ought to see that uh, sufficiency even in the good things too. That's a, that's a growth and maturity issue. But let's lean into him and let's find our source of hope in him. I mean, that's really where we're at. And I've just, just been wrestling with this all week. And it's actually a, <laughs> it's a text that's like super simple and also like really, really hard. Let's just be, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I, I've struggled with this one because it's like, this is so easy and yet it's so hard because we always want to lean into our own, our own strength. And just that leaning into our own strength never gets us where we need to be. It's leaning into Jesus. It's leaning into his grace. So I hope you'll do that. I hope that we'll do that together as a church. And let's, let's just pray together and, and ask him for his help. Um, Father, we do just acknowledge our weakness here. We need to acknowledge that we have um, nothing to offer you, Lord. And in fact, you, you tell us, Jesus, in, in the Gospels that apart from you, we can do nothing. I don't know that I believe that all the time. I don't know that any of us believe that all the time, Lord. And we need your help. We need your help to, to get us there, to help us to understand our, our weakness is the way to you. Yeah, Lord, we, we just want to ask you for your help in these things. Pray that we wouldn't lean in our own strength. Pray we wouldn't lean into our own abilities. Pray we wouldn't lean into ourselves at all, but that we would lean away into your arms, into your, in, into your grace, that we would approach your throne of grace with boldness. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that you would give us these things by your goodness and kindness to us. And Lord, as we sing to you, as we lift up our voices in in the songs we'll sing today, would you just give us hearts that are drawn closer to you? Would you give give us that gift of faith? Help us to believe. Make us believe. We need it, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.